Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Montana standard time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 am pacific for grow live on youtube patty armister is going to ask your questions you can submit them ahead of time and we'll be prepared with the answers uh what do you want to know we're starting out talking about selecting seeds but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know what pests are good or you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana standard time, 
10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube, Grow Live with Patty and Jackie. But I've had so much fun recording the podcasts um, when I, I changed the format in 2018 and have been interviewing people. Um, just, you know, and those are the funnest conversations really to find out what people are, you know, where they live, what they're growing and what it's like to grow where they are and all of that kind of stuff. It's cool. Oh my God. Well, I love biographies. Like my real ultimate dream is to be a children's book author with a focus on biographies. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, December 4th, 2020, although it's probably 2021 when you're hearing this because we are in season three. I have an amazing guest on the line. I've been trying to book her on the show since I very first started. Um, She is the garden nerd from California. Here's Christy Wahelmi. So welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a Southern California native, and I I garden here year-round in my backyard in Los Angeles, and I have a community garden plot as well that's a small space. So naturally, that's where I started, and I I have this small space that made me learn how to grow biointensively. So that's what I specialize in, small space, biointensive, organic vegetable gardening. And I have three books. Well, I have four, but one's not coming out for another year, but I'll tell you about the three that I have. So Gardening for Geeks is my primary gardening book. It's the, you know, soup to nuts, learn how to garden from scratch in a biointensive way. Uh, and then I have an ebook that is a compilation of the first 10 years of my Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. And now the newest book I have that's coming out in March, which you can pre-order now, is called Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, and it is the fruit companion to small space growing to the, to the vegetable gardening book that I have. So uh, that that's kind of sums it up for me. And then I just got a book deal with uh, William Morrow slash HarperCollins for a novel that I have written that is coming out in March, well, spring 2022. And that is uh, very much, I'm very excited about it because it is set in a community garden. And so it's for gardeners, but it's fiction. And yeah, so that's, that's, you know, I teach people how to grow their own food through classes, consulting, food garden design. I've got my own podcast. I've got a YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, on all that jazz. And, um, I've been gardening for over about 30 years now and I love it. And it's now my life. (laughs) Is, so is that is the interview still is the podcast still called Garden Nerd or is that separate? Like, do you still do the tip of the week? It is the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, and each week I ask my guests to share one awesome tip at the end of the interview. So it's still the Tip of the Week podcast, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's still streaming. You know, wherever you stream podcasts, you can get it. Cool. Uh I can't wait to read your novel. I am actually (laughs) writing a novel that I just started about. um, My husband and I were looking at this farm in Maine that we wanted to buy. And so I'm writing the novel about 
like if we had bought it and all the things that like would have happened yada, yada. oh cool yeah so, that's a good that's a good story in the making it's so fun like i and i can't believe like I'm up to 30,000 words and I've only like, I wrote it out by hand on like these pages and I'm on like page four of my like handwritten thing. <laughs> and it's 185 pages typed. It's like, I just, I keep hearing all the voices and voices of my guests that I've interviewed. Like there's all these different characters. And it's, it's just so fun. So I'm glad to hear that, that you're writing a novel like that, that takes place in a community garden. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 2022, you already have a book deal for? Yeah, this year was pretty busy for me. Um, I think uh, with, uh, because I was working on how to grow, or sorry, because I was working on grow your own mini fruit garden at the same time as doing another draft of my novel, I was at my desk typing most of the time, which while everyone else was like cleaning out their closets and doing all the restorative, you know, COVID stuff that was really, I was like, Oh, that sounds nice. I still am surrounded by junk everywhere. So I haven't gotten to that yet. No worries. <laughs> I got to say, I was able to master, I, I'm an elementary teacher by trade. And when school got out in June, I was able to master the Marie Kondo um, sparking joy thing. Nice. And so I did manage to get my house cleaned out, but then I, I, I've been, we've been married 27 years, so there's still a lot of stuff, but um, I want to hear about Grow Your Own Mini Fruit. Tell us about that. Sure. This is called Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, and it's coming out in March 2021 from Cool Springs Press. And my focus, as I mentioned earlier, is about small space biointensive gardening. And so it really is for people who only have a patio or a balcony or a very small backyard. And it talks about growing fruit trees and berries and uh, all in a way that is conducive to either growing in containers or maintaining it at orchard height or below so that you can actually manage it without having to take up your whole yard with one giant tree. You know, most of the instruction that we get about fruit trees and orchard care is based on farmers. You know, they're, they're talking about or commercial fruit production. And so the home gardener is taking advice from professionals who are growing acres and acres of the same thing and have space between their trees at like, you know, 15, 20 feet between trees. We don't have room for that kind of stuff. Most people who live in urban environments. And so... This book focuses on the small spaces and how to manage fruit trees for small spaces and also how to plant things in succession in a way to strategize for having fruit year round or at least the bulk of the season so that you're not um, getting all your oranges and hundreds of them at once. You can strategize with different things. So I, um, <clears throat> I was, when Cool Springs Press came to me with the idea for the book. I glommed onto it. I thought, oh, this is great. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it out there in the world. And we just sent it off to the printer today as of this taping. Wow. That is so exciting. So my listeners are always asking me questions like, how can they be more productive or what can they do to grow better fruit? So like what's something they can do that's why, why maybe we should back up because I <laughs> 
kind of pretty much know what the biointensive model is, I think. Now that I've done my podcast, like I could almost picture myself asking my friend Kavita, I think it was, what is biointensive? Or maybe it was just Pierce down at the she worked at the Jacob Jevon. Is it Jacob Jevon? John, John Jevons. Jevons. Yeah, John Jevons. Um, yeah, he he's one of the one of the big proponents of grow grow biointensive is his whole method. And it's one of the one of the practices that I incorporate into my own gardens. So why don't, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about what that means? Sure. So the word biointensive is simply an umbrella term for growing a lot of stuff in a small space. And for me, I use a combination between square foot gardening and John Jevons' How to Grow More Vegetables Than You Ever Thought Possible on Less Land Than You Can Imagine, his book, and, <clears throat> and the philosophies that are behind that. Uh, it is about really it all comes down to making sure your soil is as vibrant, biologically alive and fertile as it can possibly be to support growing things closer together than you normally would. And so in vegetables, what that looks like is instead of growing in rows with lots of footprints, you know, foot traffic between, you're clustering them into either, you know, mounded raised beds or raised beds with frames or, something that uh, you can group everything together. And in like Jevons method, they plant on centers. So everything is on six inch centers in a hexagonal planting spacing or offset rows where as they grow in, they form a living mulch and there's no sunlight passing through to the soil. So there's hardly any weeds, you're losing less water to evaporation and you're, it's just easier to maintain. Everything's closer together. But you can't just plant closer together in any old soil. You've got to steward your soil. And so my big evangelism, if you will, is all about the soil food web and taking care of your soil and making sure there's food for the microbes that live in the soil, not doing things that kill the microbes like tilling it, and, um, and making sure you put down mulch because that's a fungal food, stuff like that. So a lot of that carries over into the fruit arena, uh, especially and most especially when it comes to soil prep before you plant a tree. So it really is about planning ahead. Most of the time people dig a hole and put the tree in the ground and hope for the best, but that is when you come into problems where there are, you know, fungal or bacterial or in, in most cases, viral diseases that are completely uncurable. Viral diseases, it's basically the end of your tree and you have to pull it. And those things show up because of mostly poor drainage. And so it always comes back to making sure your soil is well amended in the entire area where the roots are going to occupy, not just the planting hole. So I go into depth on how to prep for planting a tree ahead of time, as well as other strategies for placements. So you're not causing shade where you don't want it and making sure you've got enough room between trees so they're not crowded and sad. So I know my, I'm in Northwest Montana, so we could probably have more opposite climates, but like, mm-hmm. I am really struggling with blueberries. Got any uh, suggestions for me with my blueberries? Now, they are in like, probably, like, I think the pH is an 8.3. <laughs> oh, very like alkaline. In a yeah. 4.5 or something, and maybe that's yeah. where my whole problem is, but. Yeah, uh, um Blueberries How do I really... get it down to the 4.5? <clears throat> right. That's a very good question. So blueberries really like acidic soil. And 
I thought I had acidic soil. We're somewhere around 7.1, 7.2, but you, I didn't realize you guys up there are more alkaline um, than we are. Um, the, the trick for blueberries, oftentimes we will just plant them in containers with straight acid planting mix or lots and lots and lots of peat moss because peat moss tends to have a lower pH than uh, regular garden soil mix. The other trick, and I share this in the book, is most of the time our municipal water sources have water, our water that's delivered to our homes that we're watering our gardens with is very alkaline itself. And so you want to acidify that. Now, I, I learned uh, from the folks up at the Caspis farm in Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz, they actually ferment their apples that fall from the trees into vinegar and then they pump some vinegar through their irrigation system for their 400 plus blueberry trial garden that they have there. And so on the home scale, that means something like adding, uh, I think it's four tablespoons of vinegar, uh, like a regular or an apple cider vinegar to uh, two gallons of water and using one of those watering cans each for each blueberry plant and doing that every couple of months to a couple of weeks depending on how alkaline your soil is and that helps drive down the ph and makes the blueberries a little bit happier to coexist with your existing soil cool so then adding milk would be like the worst thing i could do yeah i don't i don't know i in fact i haven't even heard of using milk as a way to benefit I mean, I know people will use milk and water as a spray to keep powdery mildew away, but I don't see that that would help. Um, yeah, sorry. Haven't heard about that. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. My husband's like, what are you doing? I want to say I mix like milk and molasses with a gallon of water, like a cup of milk and a tablespoon of molasses and a gallon of water. And I don't well, know that... where I got it from, but it did not work. But yeah. I have apple cider vinegar in the in the fridge right now and then um i'm i'm curious because i'm thinking like we had you know lots of apples that you know had dents and bruises and different things and should i have kept them and put them by the blueberries well it would make you would need to ferment them first so it's about oh, yeah. it's about that fermentation that um you know the vinegar is is a very acidic property whereas apples themselves are not very acidic so I think, you know, when you're talking about adding milk and molasses, you're making me think, oh, that's upping the sugar content <laughs> of whatever is going on. So that's food for bacteria, but that's not going to help um, acidify your soil. I'm going down a rabbit hole here, so stop me if you want. But so bacterially dominant soils tend to be more alkaline and fungal dominant soils tend to be more acidic. So it's actually the plants who help determine their own soil pH by putting out either sugars for bacteria or humic acids for fungi, and they will start to breed more. And that helps you know, alter the soil pH depending on the fungi and the bacteria that are in the soil. So, so you're feeding bacteria and that's gonna make your soil more alkaline, if anything. And I need to go the other way. Yeah. I keep getting confused. Like I, <laughs> it's like so hard for me. I'm like, the number goes up and that means it's more 
acidic and I want the number to go down to be alkaline or the number goes up and that's more alkaline and I want the number to go down to be acidic. <sighs> Correct. Just... So yes. So the, the lower the pH, <clears throat> the more acidic it is. So, you know, battery acid is down at the, you know, and tomatoes like acidic soil, blueberries like acidic soil, that's going to be down in the, you know, 5.5 range, somewhere in there. And then when you get up to eight and nine, that's where we're talking uh, really, really alkaline. Hmm. All right, cool. Man, you are just full of golden seeds. <laughs> uh, well, gosh, I haven't even asked about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? How old were we? Who were you with? What'd you grow? Sure. I was a picky eater as a kid, and my parents had trouble feeding me, and they put in a garden in the backyard, and I remember the only vegetables I would eat were the peas off the vine, raw, and the carrots, raw, out of the garden. I didn't like anything that was cooked <laughs> if it was a vegetable, <laughs> and so that was my first experience gardening, but it didn't carry through. I went through most of my life not gardening. I, I won't say most of my life. I've spent more than half my life gardening, but I spent most of my childhood not gardening, and... Uh, it wasn't until I became a vegetarian in 1993 that I decided I needed to know more about my own food source. And that's when I started gardening. Uh, but my first garden was at my parents' house in pretty clay soil. And we grew peas and carrots. That's what I remember. Was that in L Did you grow up in California? I grew up in a little town called Simi Valley. That's about an hour north of Los Angeles. My parents still live there and they had the most incredible oranges and nectarines and apples. And never once do I ever remember them fertilizing or putting compost or anything down around those trees. And I thought that was my, you know, kid memory, but I asked them and they were like, no, we never fed it. And they just had the soil there was just so darn good <laughs> that they didn't have to do anything. And we had the most abundant harvests every year. So here in where I live, where we have very, very sandy soil and the nutrients just drain out of it like sand, um, we're having to feed things more regularly. And it feels like a, a Sisyphusian effort sometimes because it's like it's just not, um, not what I remember when I was growing up, you know? Huh, interesting. And they still don't have to feed it? Well, they moved to a new location, and that's oh. a different type of soil. So they're having to work a little harder now. <laughs> well, tell us about something that grew well this year. Well, you know, I had a fantastic uh, watermelon season this year. Uh, sometimes last year, the rats got every single one of them. This year, I had about 15 watermelons coming in in succession. So we had the whole summer, just week after week after week, with three different kinds of watermelons coming in from the garden. And that was probably the best thing that happened. It was delightful. So how does that work? Because succession planning is something I really struggle with. You know, it's hard, especially in a small space, because your, your impulse is to plant the whole thing at once. And... <clears throat> I think for me this year, I planted a little bit later than usual. 
actually, let me check my, my notebook because I actually put the planting date down. Hang on a sec. Pulling open my journal with my notes. Uh, no worries. When it was planted. No, you know, I planted them early, actually. I did not plant them late. I planted them early, which for me, uh, you know, I, us- I usually will wait until almost June before I put in my watermelons just because I've got stuff growing in that space up until then, but I put them in at the That's end That's what of I was April. wondering about. Yeah. Um, I put them in in April this year and they took off. And I think because I was growing three different varieties, they produced at different times. And so I ended up harvesting a moon and stars here, followed by a white sugar lump, followed by a black tail mountain. And it ended up being that they were just coming ripe at different times. Uh, I also, so I have four by four beds and I plant in a triangle when I'm growing things that sprawl like pumpkins and watermelons and other squashes. I'll plant three different varieties in the same four by four bed and let them crawl all over each other. This is that biointensive gardening I was telling you about. So um, they're equidistant apart in a triangle, but they can, they are intermingling and same with the watermelons. They're crawling all over each other. I just keep picking the vines up and curling them around back into the beds and they keep producing. So it's great. And, and that, that did really well. And I managed to keep them from being eaten somehow. I don't know. I didn't even cover them. They just didn't get eaten this year, which was a miracle of nature. I have to say. How come four by four beds? What made you pick that size? Uh, that is based on the square foot gardening method, Mel Bartholomew's book, Square Foot Gardening. The concept behind that is that an adult arm is usually long enough to reach two feet in all the way around if you, and without tramping all over your soil. So you, you build these four by four beds with some space in between to walk, you know, between them. And that way you can plant things really close together without any rows in between and you are making the most of the space without uh, you know compressing your compacting your soil cool uh how about something you're excited to try different next year something new you want to try something new next year well it's funny because i'm because we're growing year-round i'm actually trying something new right now but in by the time your listeners hear this they'll be ready for their spring crops which we have in our cold our cool weather season is right now here in october november december and that goes until about march and then we switch over to the hot weather stuff right away so i am growing so i'm a big i call myself a kale whore i love kale i grow 14 different varieties of kale every year but this year I'm trying a new one that I <clears throat> so far am loving. It is called, hang on one sec, getting to my notes. Right. So there's a couple of different things I'm growing. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of dazzling blue kale. It's relatively no, new in the world of seed catalogs, but it is a purple lacinato or Dino style kale. Um, and then this one from MI Gardener, which is called Premier Kale, and it's very much like a Siberian kale with loose leaf, big, big leaves. They're kind of pretty. Um, so I'm doing those new kales. I'm also growing this salad green that looks like grass. It's called Minutina, and it's really fun. And, uh, 
Let's see, what else am I doing? I am, I've got, I tend to put all the new stuff in my test garden first and then, <laughs> and then branch out to my community plot. Oh, giant noble spinach is a new one that I'm trying for the first time this year too. So those are my new ones. Every year I try and grow two or three new varieties uh, in order to keep experimenting with, well, in, and including diversity in my garden. Because as you know, diversity is key and that is the key to our survival as a species as well. <laughs> I'm curious about your garden journal. You seem so organized. Like, is it just a notebook or do you have like a special planner or like, and do you write things down at like, I'm notorious for like, after we've planted, I go down. But this year is the first year where I've really like, I almost have all of 2021 written out and done already. Like I know what's going to happen. Oh, nice. Well, I do keep a journal. I have all of my gardens dating back to 1997 and the layout is fall spring fall spring fall spring and then you know i'll have certain things where it's like this and then that like when the garlic comes out then this is going in and i early in my 20s i was really good at remembering everything but now that i'm <laughs> in my 50s i am not and so i write everything down i sketch out my my garden and I have I have in my gardening for geeks book I teach people how to plan out their garden on paper every season and I also have a YouTube video that summarizes that as well but the um the gist is I have a notebook that has graph paper in it and I sketch out the beds or I create a template for my home garden in my computer and I print out a fresh blank copy every season and sit down with my seeds and it's important for me to track it because, you know, crop rotation is really important. When you're wanting to not plant something in the same place year after year, you have to keep track of where it was. So I can flip back to three seasons before and know everywhere I had my brassicas or my tomatoes, which really shouldn't be planted in the same place for three or four years. And then I can decide what bed they're going to go in this season and build around that. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's the easy way for me to do it. Cause I don't remember anything anymore. <laughs> Gosh, like with all your knowledge, you'd almost think it would be like second nature. Like, you know, well, I'm taking this out. So this is going in next. Yeah, it, it would be, except that I really have way too many seeds than is sane for human to have. And I like to make sure I'm trying things out. Plus I want to remember how things did. So at the beginning of the season, I'm writing it all down on paper. But by the end of the season, I'm going back to say, this did well, this didn't do well. And of course, when I planted, like, you know, for example, I just thought I told you when, or, you know, I, I mentioned that I thought I planted my watermelons in June, but I didn't. I planted them in April and I wouldn't have known that hadn't I written it down. Yeah. Well, that was part of like, I had this kale bed and I was, I wanted to put, I got those beneficial nematodes and I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure I put some in the kale bed where I'm going to plant the kale next year. And right. so that was kind of what instigated the like, well, where is everything going to go next year? And right. that's kind of how I came out of, because I was trying to figure out, and then wouldn't you know it, because I didn't write it down. I didn't have it out there. The day that I put the nematodes out, they didn't go in the bed that I was planning on putting the kale next year. <laughs> well, they will still benefit where you did put them. So that's good news. Yeah. Cool.
Well, how about something that didn't work so well this season, like maybe didn't go the way you thought it was going <sighs> to? So many things often don't go well. Uh, we have some serious vermin issues where I live. And between my home garden and my community garden, my cat is not enough to do the trick. So we're setting rat traps everywhere. Uh, they are always after my brassicas and they were after my tomatoes over summer. And um, I feel like it's an uphill battle, but I'm dealing with this with a lot of my clients too, where we, you don't want to put out just one or two traps. You want to put out like 30 traps. And, you know, we never use poison and I don't recommend that anyone ever does because they rats are low on the food chain and animals in the wild and house cats love to eat them. So in order to prevent poisoning those poor animals, oh, yeah, so when 30 rat traps, like <laughs> then what do you do with the rats? Well, when we, when we catch a rat, it is dead. Uh, and we dispose of it in the, <clears throat> in the trash can. Now, if I were in a, a more rural setting, I would probably just leave it out there for the wildlife to pick up. Um, oftentimes, my cat will discover it before I've released it from the trap, and I have to chase her and the rat trap down and then <laughs> release the rat trap off of it so she can finish eating it from head to tail, which she does. Uh, but most of the time... Are they little? No, no. Doesn't matter the size. She eats them whole. She's all about it. I have, I have this fantastic cat, um, but uh, which some people have seen. If you've seen any of my YouTube videos, Mittens uh, makes uh, cameo appearances and most of them these days because she's always curious to get in front of the camera. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, rat traps are important. Also, physical barriers are very important. We use a lot of bird netting around here. On my apples and my tomatoes, I used believe it or not, maggot barriers that are made for apple trees, but I started putting them on my tomatoes and that would slow down the disappearance quite a bit. So it wasn't a hundred percent successful, but I'd say we got maybe 30 to 50% more of the harvest than we did last year. Nice. That's a big gain. Yeah. Is it hard to put the things out? Like does one go on each tomato or it just goes over the whole yeah. plant? Uh, no, it goes on each tomato or a cluster of tomatoes. So I'd put them around clusters of cherries or smaller, smaller tomatoes. Um, but yeah, singly, it, it's at the end of the season, mostly, you know, once summer really hits, uh, that's when I started protecting them. So at that point, we're, we're pulling off a lot of them. But if your whole tomato bush is covered in tomatoes, then I would go for a full barrier instead, like bird netting or physical other physical barriers around the area that's the best way to go Cages our big that one that thing. we have birds eat our strawberry <clears throat> oh yeah and so for that you know if you can do hoops and bird netting pinned down all the way around or metal cages over them or cloches you know that helps a lot hmm. okay good ideas there I have you ever tried like I've always wanted to try the rocks where people paint the rocks like strawberries. Oh, I <laughs> I've not tried that. I've not tried that. I've heard of you know putting fake snakes in the yard and that kind of thing to help deter the birds, but I haven't seen the paint rock painted rock thing. Yeah, I don't have very many. I planted like six strawberry plants last year, and then the dill kind of grew up and. I didn't get down there in time and it just kind of, I didn't, I got like three strawberries. 
yeah did not have much success there yeah but i'm I, hoping I like to, next year i i like to keep bird netting over my strawberry patches 100 percent of the time that seems to be the trick to keeping them for yourself cool good to know all right well this is the part of the show i call getting to the root of blah, getting to the root of things so do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? Well, I can tell you I have a I have a pile of mulch, not mulch. I have a pile of garden debris from the summer that I have to shred and I have to wheel out the shredder and put on the mask and do the whole thing. And it's kind of a half day event and then build compost piles out of it. And I, I have to say, it's not my favorite thing to do. But probably very valuable. It's incredibly valuable. Making your own compost is the best thing in the world you could do for your garden. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what's your, so on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Harvesting, obviously. <laughs> Bringing in the fruits of your labor is the best thing in the world. Love it. Uh, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? That's a tough one. I've really learned a lot from a lot of people over the years, but uh, I think, you know, well, it's, it's going to be, this is kind of a letdown, but I say to my students, because this is what I've learned from so many people, is that nature always wins. And it is our job to just do what we can to work with her instead of against her. I like that. That might be the title of the show. <laughs> Work with nature, not against <clears throat> her. Yeah. Uh, or nature always wins. Uh, what's your favorite tool? If you had to move, is there something you couldn't live without? You know, my compost bins are my favorite thing that I would have to move with me. I would take it with me. Um, it's sort of, an, you have two questions there, but the the compost bins I have are called the BioStack. And it was made by Smith and Hawken. And then when they went out of business, they stopped making them. And I somehow managed to get four of them and I'll never, ever give them up. So those are, those are my favorite thing I would have to take with me. If, but my favorite tool, I think, are my, my Felco pruners. I really love them. They're number sixes for small hands. And they're perfect. I need to hear more about the bins. Oh, like... so... <laughs> So the compost bins, most compost bins are not made for actively turning your bin, uh, your pile. Uh, for me, it's really important to turn the pile in order to expose new surface area and give bacteria and fungi more to eat. And that's what breaks down compost. It's not about heat or anything. It's really, it's a chemical response and a biological response to putting carbon and nitrogen together. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like going off on a tangent, but when you have a bin with the little lid on the top and the stupid little door on the bottom, you can't really turn the pile. And so what I tell people to do is shimmy the bin off, you and a friend or someone in your household, set the bin down next to the pile, take the lid off and start shoveling the pile back into the bin. And the turning, that's the best way to turn a compost pile. But the biostack was was uh, sorry. The biostack was created to facilitate that activity. It's three layers. There are three frames that stack on top of one another and a lid. And you take the lid off. You take one frame off the top. You set it down next to the bin, and you start shoveling into there. And then you take the when you get down to the second layer, you take the second layer off, 
and you shovel it over and it just makes turning a pile really easy. And it's the best compost bin that was ever made. I actually started a petition that's on my website, on my blog and in my newsletter every week for people to sign the petition to get Target, who now owns the patents for those bins, to start making them again because the world needs to compost. That's how we sink carbon into our soils and reverse climate change. So it's one of the most important things you can do as a person living on this planet is to compost your waste instead of throwing it in a landfill. And the composter that I love, the BioStack, is the best one for it. Oh my gosh, you're melting my heart. I love <laughs> all of this. I can't believe that Target needs a petition because they have the patent. I mean, if they're not doing anything with it, what do they need the patent for? I kept wondering, I'm like, why doesn't she just make her own? But now I understand why. Yeah. And, and I, you know, people have, have said you should just try and buy the patents off of them, but I don't have that kind of money. And I, I certainly am not in the manufacturing business. So if someone wants to get out there and do it, I will totally love that. But it's something that uh, I feel like Target's got the they've already got the infrastructure and the money they can do it. So they just need a little nudge from all of us. And gardening's so big right now, they're probably, you'd probably think they want to. I was going to suggest, because I was actually supposed to talk to JM Fortier this morning, who is like a master of the biointensive method, who just started his own, it's called Growers and Co. And like, they're making tools like broad forks and clothes and all sorts of like really cool gardening um you know, things for gardeners. And I was thinking maybe he would take it up, but then you mentioned the target thing, but um, I just, I just love it so much because I'm such a compost person and I don't understand, but I like, you said it's a chemical thing, be carbon and nitrogen, see my nose, but I, I always feel like the big piece of it is like mixing in the oxygen, like the whole point of churning it and what makes it different than putting your, cause like what drives me crazy is like, people don't understand the putting food scraps in the garbage makes it become, is it a, anaerobic? Wanted to, yeah. It makes it anaerobic. So then they're not getting the oxygen and that's why it doesn't work there. Exactly. And it's like the oxygen flow. And I guess that's part of why it's so important for you to do the stacking thing, right? Cause you're getting the oxygen flow. Right. Oh, no. Yes. And so uh, the, the bad kind of bacteria, anaerobic bacteria, breed in a non-oxygen environment. And so when you turn the pile, you end up breeding the right kind of bacteria instead. So if, you're, if your compost bin or your worm bin smells like garbage or sewage, it's because it, there's not enough oxygen in that mix and you do need to turn the pile and add more brown because it's probably too wet. So Brown will help absorb the moisture. It'll help dry the place out. It'll create more spaces, pockets between the particles, fixes a lot of things. Cool. I know it's so funny because I always talk about, I don't like dirty garden jobs, but to me, turning the compost is like one of the cleanest, easiest. I'll do it any day. Right. I call it a clean garden job. Yeah. And I, I'm so baffled that people think, ooh, compost is so messy. <laughs> do not get it. Uh how about a favorite recipe? What do you like to eat from the garden? Well, I'm a big fan of cooking straight from the garden and I'm always cooking whatever is available. So I'm, I'm also a big fan of the five minute meal. So what I usually do is I'll have, uh, I will cook on a weekly basis. I'll have a, a grain like brown rice or quinoa or something. And then I'll have a bean, either a legume, you know, a lentil or a 
a, a chickpea or a black bean or something like that in the fridge. And then I will pull whatever's coming in from the garden, either kale or chard or whatever, and lettuces, salad garden, that's a different thing. But, you know, whatever's coming in from the garden, chop it up, throw it into a pan, saute it for a few minutes in a little olive oil, then throw in the beans and the rice and then a sauce. So, you know, whether you buy a store-bought sauce or you make your own, and that's like having pesto or soy sauce or anything in between, a marinara, anything, throw that in there and and you're done. And that's a five minute meal. And uh, <clears throat> I kind of live off of that all the time. <laughs> Me too. <clears throat> Sounds perfect. Yeah. Um, and eating seasonably is so important. Yeah. How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? <sighs> you know, I find myself going to one of my favorite suppliers, which is Peaceful Valley Farm and Garden Supply. And they often have really informative videos. Uh, they do their research and they are really good about explaining certain concepts very, very well. And I like their videos for that. So I go there, but I have a lot of, I mean, there's so many resources. I'm a member of Garden.com, which is an organization of garden writers. And there's a lot of people in that organization who have great websites. Honestly, I look up stuff on my own website a lot because I've been writing blog posts since 2006, 2005. <laughs> and so I'm like, I've written about this. I have to look it up. And I look on my own website a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, no kidding. I use the search bar on my website more than anybody because people ask me a question. I'll be like, oh, well, this person talked about this in this episode and here's what they said. Right. Uh, but is it garden like C-O-M or like C-A-L-M? Garden? Uh, C-O-M-M, -M, as in communications. It used to be called the Garden Writers Association, but there are more media platforms now like podcasts and television and radio. And so writers didn't fit the bill. So they changed the name to Garden.com. Mm, cool. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite book or reading material, like besides the books you've written? what book you have one yeah i i my my bibles when i first started gardening were square foot gardening by mel bartholomew and uh john jevons how to grow more vegetables than you ever thought possible on less land than you can imagine i'm also a big fan of um what am i uh oh oh right so there is a companion planting book that I refer to often when I'm planning out my gardens by Louise. And I want to say her last name is pronounced Riote, but it might be Riot. I don't know, but it's R-I-O-T-T-E. And um, she's basically the go-to person for companion planting books. And her book is called Carrots Love Tomatoes. I use that a lot when I'm planning out gardens. Cool. Maybe I should see if I should could get her on. I think I've read that. Oh, she I was passed gonna say, away a long time ago. Yeah, oh, she's she no longer with us, but her her information remains. Uh, and I love Peaceful Valley too. They're my number yeah. one place to look. Uh, they were gonna come <clears> on, but uh, I can't remember what happened. We like missed the interview, and then we've never rescheduled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ha! All right. Tell us. 
So we have seven minutes, and unfortunately, I have a guitar lesson that I have to teach two okay. of my students from last year that I missed yesterday. Okay. So I have my big final question, but I want to give you a chance to plug your books one more time. Sure. So my basic gardening book is Gardening for Geeks, and that came out earlier this year, uh, or 2020, actually. Uh, my new book coming out in March 2021 is Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden. My ebook is 400 plus tips for organic gardening success. And it's an ebook because it is full of hyperlinks to click through to resources galore. So I didn't want to put that in print form. It's ebook only. And that's available on Amazon Kindle. And then my novel will be coming out in 2022 and it's called Garden Variety. Oh, Garden Variety, what a cute name. All right, listeners, <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to say? get Christie's books, give them a review so other people can find them um, because that's the most important thing. And I know they're full of tons of valuable information. She's been putting out great free content for years. Um, and just, I know you're going to learn a ton. So my final question is, Christy, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about? a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Wow, that's a big question. And there are so many answers to that question. It's hard to narrow it down, but I keep coming back to soil health. We really need to change the way we do our industrial agriculture. And it starts by everybody buying from people who grow the way that is actually regenerative and restorative. So, you know, think twice before you spend your dollars on where you're spending your dollars, because that makes the biggest difference and the, has the biggest influence over what you can do as a regular person to change the world. I love that. And it's so true. And Bob Quinn on my show said, just start with like one thing and like, try to buy that organically because I really struggle. But I noticed like we finally started feeding our chickens organic food. And like, now I don't even think about it. I just, when I go yeah. to get them lay mash, we buy organic lay mash and little things here and there really add up. And for sure, our dollars count. Christy, yeah. tell everybody how to connect with you and where they find your awesome podcast. Sure. So you can find the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast wherever you stream. It's on Apple iTunes, it's the first thing you find if you type gardening or garden in the search box. It'll be the first one that shows up. Um, you can find me at gardennerd.com, G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R-D.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com. And of course, the Garden Nerd YouTube channel is Garden Nerd. So check it out. And it's got the cutest little carrot with glasses. I just love your logo. Thank you. <laughs> oh, all your vegetables have those glasses on. Uh, oh, I'm glad you spelled it because I would have thought there were two N's. G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R-D.com. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing all of this today. It was so fun. I feel like we have so much in common and I just, it was a real delight to talk to you and have a wonderful weekend. I hope we feel better. Thank you. I'll uh, hopefully, well, I thank you very much. <laughs> I, and my outro is terrible. Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much. It was happy. I was happy to be here. 
Oh, well, thank you. No worries. And I will send you the link and we'll play this when it comes out and we'll play it again in the spring when your book comes out and uh, have a wonderful weekend, a happy holiday and a super happy new year. And we'll talk to you again, I hope. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chrissy. Bye. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to mikesgreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Hey listeners, have you been to Growers.co, James Fortier's newest venture? He's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps, taken his classes, put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine. He's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you the Canadian exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats, Um, And you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and um, deserving of uh, uh, your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.